Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This sermon was recorded on October 3rd, 2021. Continuing the Galatians series, Pastor Rem Dias discusses Galatians 3, 19 through 25 in this sermon titled, Why Then the Law?
have a desire for you, that you would use your word today through the preaching, through the music, through the verses that we read, our confessions, that you would leave all of the desires of this world aside and that it would be filled with nothing but desire for you, that we would go out into the world and boast in nothing but you, and that you would fill this church with your spirit, with your love, with your unbelievable sacrifice, and let us go out into the world and show it to others so that they can know you. In Jesus Christ, name we pray. Amen. And lead me in the way everlasting. 
Uh, might be getting a little ahead of myself to my sermon, but one of the amazing things, guys, is that we can come completely exposed to God. Matter of fact, that's exactly how He wants us. He doesn't want us coming in, you know, with big leaves, you know, like Adam and Eve were trying to do, like trying to hide different things. He wants you to come to you. I mean, with all your grossness, with all your sin, with all your stuff this morning. Because that, like, that is where you're going to experience full grace and healing. There's nothing that this morning that when we come to this time of silent prayer and confession, guys, that the grace of God cannot cover. Okay, so let's come to Him honestly and open uh, as we take a time of silent prayer and confession following upon His grace once again.
Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn to the book of... There you go. Good job. The book of Galatians. Turn to the book of Galatians. It's in your, it's in your New Testament. While you're turning there, um, it's, it's not because I don't like you that I will not be here this next Sunday, but Stephen Morfield will be here next Sunday filling the pulpit, and I'll be going up to Christ's Covenant, because uh, we'll be at Presbytery this next uh, week, and we thought, hey, let's just switch. Uh, so come next week, invite your friend, let's uh, you know, come here, Stephen Morfield from Christ's Covenant, he's a great guy, bringing a great word. Um, so excited uh, for that. Um, but we're in Galatians 3, Galatians 3, and we're going to look at 19 through 25, 19 through 25 today, that's all we're looking at. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, what about 15 through 18? I'm going to, I'm going to briefly talk about that in just a sec, uh, but we're going to do 19 through 25 this morning and uh, hear the reading of God's word. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression, until the offspring should come to him whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? <laughs> Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And I know there's a comma there, and we'll pick up on that comma next, well, a couple of weeks from now. Um, but I'm titling this message, Why Then the Law? Why Then the Law? Uh, again, um, turn to your neighbor and say, Why in the world the law? Oh, come on. Why in the world? The law. Okay. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And um, let's, let's pray before we dive in. Lord, I am so thankful for this passage. It seems like when I read it again, it just there's a lot going on here. Um, and I just pray that, God, you would just help me. This is a pretty difficult passage. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just help me to show them the beauty of what's here. And really... What, the, what is the use of the law? When we say law, like what's it mean for us in now the new covenant? And so help us to, help us just to leave here, uh, yes, having a better understanding of the law in our walk with you, Jesus, but more importantly, with worship in our heart, with the light in who you are, Jesus, with a, a bigger view of who you are, God. And God, that uh, you would just come now and minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, uh, any baseball fans? Any baseball fans? It's okay, you can raise your hand. One. We have one baseball fan in place. Okay, uh, I, yeah, um, you know, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about baseball. You know, it's fun to play, it's like really hard to watch. Uh, and this is really hard to watch for me. Sorry, Steve, but it just is. Um, but I, I, I heard this story this week uh, about the Chicago Cubs, and man, back in Hillsborough, they would always make fun of the Cubs, because everyone wants to say those Cardinal fans. Uh, literally, like our pastor David joked, every single seemed like sermon just dogging the Cubs. You won't get that here, don't worry. Uh, but one of the, one of the things about Cub, the Cubs uh, was I heard this about the Cubs. They had they had a time in their uh, in their season, and this was many years ago, where they were actually teaching. They didn't know this at the time. They were actually teaching really good theology. They were actually teaching. Galatians, in a sense, they were actually teaching this passage because um, they brought up they brought up a um, they made a trade they made a trade uh, with a, with another uh, team to trade um, his name was Vance yeah Vance Law to be their third baseman Vance Law was their third baseman um, and then literally a couple you know a couple weeks later they brought up from the minor leagues a guy named Mark Grace to be their first baseman. Uh, and they were 
so you had Mark Grace, okay, Mark Grace and Vance Law that were, you know, first and third baseman, and they were right next to each other in the batting order. So you had, they would, the announcers would say all the time, oh, Grace and Law, right there next to each other. Literally, I go, uh, if the ball was hit to the third baseman, they'd say, oh, Law knocked it down and threw it over to Grace. And oh, Grace did this and threw it over to Law. And, and literally, they would say this all the time. Grace and law, grace and law, grace and law, grace and law. And like I just heard that, I was like, that's theology. That, that's beautiful. That's what he's talking about exactly in this passage. Um, and it is true. Because Paul is coming to this passage and he's asking the question, why the law? Why the law? Now I know when I say law, we have to when I say law, and what Paul, more importantly, what Paul, when he means when he says law here in this passage, <coughs> he's not meaning. Uh, you know these ceremonial laws, like you know, you know the law, the law of killing sheep and different things like that. He's meaning the moral law, which the moral law, you know, there's like 613 of these moral laws that were then summarized in the giving of the Ten Commandments. Okay, and then the Ten Commandments are even summarized even more by Jesus by love God and love your neighbor. So this is what he means by law. He's like, what are we to do? With these big ten, what are we to do with the law? How is the law supposed to function in the life of a believer? Now, um, I want to briefly talk about 15 and 18. Basically, what happened in 15 and 18, he's saying this. Paul says that the law was given to Moses. Okay, The law was given to Moses not to contradict, not to contradict or work against the promise and the covenant of Abraham. And we talked about that a little bit last year. So he's saying the giving of the law didn't contradict or take away from what was established with Abraham. Okay, it's only going to bring more fulfillment. It's only going to keep adding and growing the beauty of who God is. So the question then again is, Paul's like, why in the world did the law? Why would you give it? And see, Paul would love what the Chicago Cubs were teaching. He's like, the law and grace, they go together. We do not separate them. So, a big summary uh, statement, and we're going to break this down, is here it is. This is kind of what he's saying in a nutshell. We all stand under the imprisonment of the law. We all stand under the imprisonment of the law, but the law should be used to point us to Christ. The law should be used to point us to Christ, which then Christ gives us power then to delight in the law. <laughs> they go together. All right? So we're going to see this back and forth. And so historically, all right, historically, hang on with me. We're going to put our, by the way, you got to put on your theological caps a little bit on these coming sections. This is just like, whoa, there's some, I mean, there's some deep stuff in Galatians 3 and 4. All right, so you can track with me. I'm going to make sure you're tracking with me. Go like this so I know you're tracking with me. Okay, all right. So, um, so here it is. Here it is. The, the uses of the law. Luther gave two uses of the law. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about these two uses of the law in just a second. But then John Calvin, another really smart dead guy, came along. Okay, and he added a third use of, of, of the law. And most of the time, in in our you know denomination and really throughout church history, most agree on these three uses of the law uh, that Calvin came to add. Some still hang with Luther and just these two, but uh, there's these three uses of the law. And I bring that up because I'm gonna lead us through. These three uses of the law, because I believe this is what Galatians is going to show us. These three uses of the law. Alright? So that's where we're going. We're going to go through these three uses of the law by diving into this passage and seeing here. So the first use, and I see this in verses 19 um, through 22. The first use, the law functions as a mirror. The law functions as a mirror, so let it expose you. Okay? The law functions as a mirror as a so let it expose you. So where do I see this? Verse 19. Verse 19, Paul again starts with this question, why then the law? And then he says, and then it goes right into the answer. He says it was added because of the transgression. It was added because of the transgression. And he actually down in verse 22, he kind of says the exact same answer. I mean, he's asked the same question and gives kind of the same answer. This idea of it's giving because of a transgression. Now, a transgression was to show your trespass. It was, it was showing, a transgression was showing you that you violated the law. 
So again, what Paul is saying is the law was given to just act like a big highlighter. The big highlighter. We got into this last week, but stay with me. A big highlighter showing you, whoa, you blew it. You messed up. It highlighting your sinfulness. All right? And then literally back in verse 22, I'm looking at it for a second. It says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin. When you dive into the Greek here and understanding this, it's not just everything under sin. It's literally a better translation is everyone. Literally, it's imprisoned, the law, it imprisoned everyone. The law, again, is showing you your sinfulness. And you've got to get this. Because, again, I'm going to come back to this because Paul comes back to this. If you are going to rely on the law for your sake of, of, of being justified, you're going to end up like, what again, Martin Luther, I, he said this. He, he was a guy before his conversion, before this amazing time of the Reformation, he was a guy that was constantly trying to, trying to make himself feel good by just obeying, 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 obeying the law. And he literally said this. He says, the law made me hate God. The more the law showed me that what I should do, the more I realized how much I wasn't. And stick with me. If, let's say, like, many of us might, might do this metaphorically, where we literally get the Ten Commandments and we're going to post them on our wall, uh, our, our bathroom mirror, and say, okay, we're going to do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay, day started, shake it out, okay, yeah, don't cut it, okay, all right, all right, and I'm telling you, it, for a pastor anyway, it doesn't go long throughout the day, it's like, oh, I blew it, oh, I blew it, oh, oh, man, I blew it, I blew it, but this, if you're going to try to do that, listen, if your Christianity is posting up the law and saying, come on, then it's like, it's like, you using an x-ray machine to try to heal your broken leg. All right? Now track with me. Let's say, uh, you know, you are out on the tractor. All right? It's corn harvest. And you're trying to get to the grain garden. You jump out of your tractor. Oh! You know, you're trying to run over your truck. And, you know, I'm seeing some smiles. Does this happen? Um, but maybe you guys don't run uh, to your truck, to your, your tractor. I don't know. Everything's remote control. I don't know. But you... So you, you, you're running and you, oh, you get something. And you go to the, you go to the doctor, all right? You go to the doctor and, and they, they put you in the little x-ray machine. Like, ah, man, something's wrong with my leg. And, and they put you in, and what they were going to do is they put you in there and, they, and all of a sudden they, they show you your leg. It's like, oh, man. And they pinpoint. They pinpoint right to it. This is your tibia whatever. It's broken. This, this slight fracture. And, you know, here it is. And that's awesome. You need that. You need the x-ray machine. Because without the x-ray machine, you ain't, you're not understanding how to pinpoint it. Right? And, but they pinpoint it. But that's all the x-ray machine's going to do. Is pinpoint And that is what Paul, that's what the use of the law, guys. It's pinpoint. It's showing you with crystal clarity. Oh, man. I'm good. Here it is. But it's not treatment for your soul. It's going to lead you to treatment. And so, uh, and then look at this, verse 22, it says, The scripture, the law, imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise, I love that, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the law exposes, the law exposes you, look at it, and it points to the promise. Christ. The treatment. The one who said, oh yeah, he, he, he literally did not cover it. He literally did these laws perfectly. And I love what John Stott says here. He summarizes this perfectly. He says, not until the law has bruised and smitten us will we admit our need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we plead for Christ to set us free. Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Christ 
for justification and for life. Not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. Not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us to heaven. So, church, let the law expose you and drive you to the cross. So, um, now I want to I want to get real quickly. I, I do have to give you some insight in verses nineteen and twenty because again, my preaching is like, man, I got to go through the text. I got to make sure I hit every verse. But these verses are super hard. They are like encrypted. Okay, talking about angels and an intermediary and like, what in the world is happening? Well, I really don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, kind of, because there's been a lot of debate over these verses and commentaries. I mean, just all this stuff on these verses. It's crazy. But here's my best understanding of what's actually happening here. And here he says in, in verse um, in the 20. And it was put in place, that meaning the law, was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So, theological hats on. Deuteronomy 33 through uh, 33:2 and Psalm Psalm 69:17 talks about the fact that when God came down on Mount Mount Sinai to give the law, okay, He was accompanied by angels, okay, and we know that the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, with all these clouds, was given to Moses, and then Moses, what did he do? He came down and then delivered it to the people. So. But then the text said, God is one. So we have to understand, in the context of him talking about law and gospel, here's what I believe he is saying. He is saying, the law only creates, only creates distance. Just as it did with the, the Israelites. Okay, because, you know, he had, he had angels, and then you had Moses, and then it came to the people. And gospel creates just right access. And let me, let me imagine, like, when you go to the doctor, right? You, you want to go to the doctor. You, what do you have to do? You get on the phone. You call the doctor. When you get the receptionist, is always so bubbly or not. You know, and, and, and so you get the receptionist on the phone, and, and she's talking to you, and then you set an appointment, and then what happens? You go, actually go to the doctor, and then you actually sit in the doctor's office, and then they call you up, and then you sign the paper, and you talk to the other people, and then you actually, oh, then they call another lady that you don't know who calls you, and you actually go to the waiting room, and then you see a nurse, and then you see the doctor. He's saying that's what the law is like. The law just creates distance between you and God. You're just going to be all about the law. It creates distance. But the gospel works like this. The doctor's your father. You go straight to him. You go straight to him. Alright? So I believe that's kind of what he's, what he's saying. Tracking? Okay, good. Alright. Now, uh, the second use of the law, and this is in verses 23 through 25. This is where I see this. The law functions as a, a bridle. So let it restrain you. Right. The law functions as bridle and it's restraining. Verse 23 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. That idea of held captive is saying that uh, it's like a prison guard. Okay, he's saying the, the law is functioning literally as a prison guard. Okay, so have that, have that in your mind. And then jump down to first, verse 24 where he says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came. That word guardian is important. In order that we might be justified by faith. So in ancient times, they would have these, uh, what it means by guardian, they, they would have these things over children's life was like these tutors. Okay? And these tutors were put into children's life by parents. And what they would do is, <coughs> they would be like, Hardcore Mary Poppins, okay? Like yeah, Mary, Mary Poppins, okay? Uh, but like they would, they would make sure that they were disciplined and that they were obeying and that they, the kids were doing their school stuff. Like they were like strict, discipline, you know, disciplined people. Uh, and 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 so he's saying the law is functioning. Get this, he's saying the law is functioning like prison wardens, keeping you on track, and guardian tutors. 
So I don't know about you, but probably you don't have the best relationship with this type of me, Mary Poppins, and the best relationship with a prison guard. And he's getting to the idea that the idea that the, the law is a bridle. The law is like a you know, bridle, the thing you put in a horse's mouth to like restrain them. Okay, that I guarantee a horse doesn't, I don't know much about horses, but I guarantee the horse is not like that thing, you know, yanking on them. Okay, okay, people saying yeah. Okay, but you might want to yank on them because you're about to, the horse is about to step on a rattlesnake and you need to pull that thing and turn it the other way. He's saying the law functions like that. The law is meant to restrain you. You see something and it just, yeah, it's meant to turn you the other way. But it doesn't necessarily, and this is the big one, it doesn't necessarily change the heart. You might only be obeying the law because the only thing you're scared about is the consequences of what will happen. Track it with me? A lot of us do this with the law. We just, oh, I don't want to go, you know, steal this thing because, I don't know, I don't Still, this person came in mind. I don't want to steal this because I might lose my job and you know might you know have uh, you know, the repercussions of this. My what my you know the people might think of my family and me and and so the only reason you know is because uh, the consequences. But it doesn't change the heart. And I was thinking about this too. My kids. I want my kids not to just obey me because they're afraid of the consequences. As if they don't. I want them to obey me because their heart delights in. Obeying that. And so that is this idea of the law. And this leads right into this third use, which is right here. Uh, verse in, in verse 25. The law functions as a light, so let it let it guide you. This is this is the third one. This is the one that Calvin brought in that was like, you know, Luther had those first two, but Calvin came in and said, you know what? This this is really the healthy use of the law. The law functions as a light, so let it guide you. And where do I see this? In verse 25 it says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I love that. He's saying now that you have faith in Christ, you don't have to treat the law as like a guardian or a tutor. Where it's like, ah, it's restraining you. You don't have to come to the Father or, you know, as if like, again, I'm, I'm, I, I have to work. You can rest. But I want to do something, and Tim Keller helped me uh, with this idea. I want to draw this, this analogy out, this analogy out of um, the law as a guardian over a child's life. The law is a guardian of a child's life. Track with me for a second. If, like, it is the goal of a parent that when you raise your children, okay, you're bringing your children up to the Lord and instruction of the Lord, that wouldn't it be the goal that when they get to maturity, that they would delight in them? The goal wouldn't be, oh, when they get to maturity, they would just ditch that. But no, they would, they would, now see that, oh, this is how my father's brought me up. These are the things. And now, out of a heart of delight, and this is what I say, I want to just keep obeying. And this is what, um, this is this idea of the third use of the law, being a light and a lamp into our path. And Calvin argued that from Psalm 119.105, where it says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, where now you're not relying on the law to give you some type of justification before God, but it, you're seeing the law is given as a guide. And um, it, the, this illustration helped me a lot, and I got this from J.D. Greer. He said, imagine that, um, imagine the law is like a railroad uh, tracks. The law is like railroad tracks. Okay, and the law is like a railroad track, and it can point us in the right direction, right? Railroad tracks can point us in the right direction, but it is powerless to move you along the tracks. You need the fires and the, the you need a locomotive. And and the locomotive, he is saying, and what I what again what, what Paul has been saying is the locomotive, the power, guys, the power comes from the gospel. 
The power comes from knowing the grace and the love and the amazing, the, the amazing accomplishment that Christ has already completed in the law. And so out of that, out of that power, you have this, now these, 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 these tracks to go down. It, or it can be said like this, grace, understanding grace and the abundance of grace and what he has done should drive you to the law. To drive you to the law. He says it like this. The law drives us to grace. But grace drives us back to the law. The law drives us, in, drives us in desperation to grace. But experience of grace drives us in devotion back to the law. So where now you understand a heart over one that you didn't do anything. You come to the law. You come to the moral codes delighting, wanting, saying, God, Thank you for giving me this. I want to please you. I want to enjoy you. See, what the Cubs did, and land the plane here, but this is powerful. The, the Cubs, these, these players, actually were in the right spot in the batting number two. So Grace batted fifth, and Law batted sixth. And guys, that very thought right there, I was thinking all this on my own this morning. Grace and law in the right order, I think, is one of the most powerful things the church needs to understand. And I, I say that because even in the giving of the Ten Commandments, this changed me. And if, if you've heard this before, this, it's great. Let it be a reminder. But Exodus 20. When he's giving the law, these Ten Commandments, right, that we want to help our kids memorize them, what does he do? And what does Moses do in verses 1 and 2? This is just profound. This is what God wants. In verses 1 and 2, he says this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So why in the world would God remind them of that? And then it goes into the law. Because he is saying, Israelites, it was grace first. You were dead. I mean, you were as sure as dead in Egypt. You were, there's no hope for you. And I came into that, and I showed my sovereignty, and I came, and I rescued you, and I redeemed you, and I restored you. So before, Israelites, hold it. Before you go on and see these ten, let me remind you where the power comes. That to even walk and guide with the ten. Let me remind you that it was grace first. It was this idea that I ransomed you and redeemed you, and I want your thoughts there. I want your thoughts there. And the same thing, guys, as I'm laying the plane, the same thing goes for us. That Christ came to redeem and restore you. I don't know what you brought in. Again, I don't know everything that's on your heart, but let me remind you again of the hope we have. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. You can come just as you are. It's His grace that redeems you. And when you get that, when you get, I can, I can tear down those two commandments and just me striving, me striving. And it was His grace that rescued me. It was His grace that redeemed me. And there's nothing, again, I can do. It drives you into, hey, Father, how can I obey you? I would want to obey you. Because I understand there was nothing that I could have done. So you've got to get them in order. So as let's learn from the Chicago Cubs. And let's understand again that grace and law, they go together, but they have to be in the right order. With grace, bad and first, and then coming law. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much again for your word. And I thank you that, um, that God, you have, have given it to us, Lord. And I just pray that we would hold uh, the law in the right spot in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would continually as a body be blown away with what you have done for us um, and the giving uh, of your son and that as we're blown away with you, Lord, help it to be our delight that we would, we would want to obey you with hearts of delight and joy. And that doesn't always happen, Lord, and so just again, help us 
Have grace upon us for that. But God, I pray that it would be our desire. It would be our desire to please you and honor you. By clinging to the cross and then, yeah, to obeying your commands and honoring you through obeying your commands. So Lord, I again thank you uh, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we come now again to a time of communion. And uh, I, I was thinking about this idea of, of grace and law and what, you know, last week's passage that, you know, those who are going to try to obey the law, <laughs> to obey rely upon the law for their salvation, what are they under? A curse. It's like, it doesn't work, guys. It doesn't work. You can rest. Like, it, again, what was, who took the curse? Christ. It was Christ who obeyed the law perfectly in the shedding of his body and blood for our forgiveness so that we, again, here's the transfer. He did that. So the transfer is, what happens in, in the table is the transfer is, so you could be redeemed or you could be blessed. And you could be blessed. And so I want to, I want to read the the words of the institution in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I received, come down here. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Was listening to I was listening to a, a sermon yesterday on communion. And it just rocked me, guys. Because uh, the pastor was saying, do we come with holy reverence to this table? Like the very fact, the very fact that Christ would break his body. Don't just say it, guys. We don't just say it. We don't go through motions here. Pray that we would not go through the motions of grace. But Christ actually broke his body for you. And he shed his blood for you so that you don't have to be under the condemnation of the law. He freed you from it. He freed you from it. So we come to this table with reverence and awe and say, thank you, Jesus. I need this. I need it. And that's who, that's who the invitation is for, by the way. This is for the believer. This is for those who said, you know what? I, I have confessed my sin. I, Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm coming to the table in need. Even if you've been, yeah, you've had a jacked up week or whatever. Yeah, come to the table. Come to the table. This is not for the unbeliever, so I'll just invite you to not partake if you're an unbeliever, but maybe to stay in your seat and reflecting upon the elements of what, what's happening here. That Christ actually broke his body and shed his blood for you so you could be forgiven. So I invite you to just repent and turn to Jesus in this time. In this time. Again, we, we use sentation here. Uh, and so... Oh, that's a big word. It just says we we break the we break the, the, the bread off of one loaf and we dip it into the cup. So when your heart is ready, when your heart is ready, so take time. Again, take time. It's okay. When your heart is ready, we invite you to come forward and you will sit and tear a piece of the bread. And you don't again move a lot of bread. You can tear a good piece. Come get all of Jesus. Don't be nervous. And then you'll just simply turn to the cup and look at the cup. Eat it and then return to your, to your table. I mean, Lord Jesus, again, bless these elements.
Bless this time. Lord, may we come with reverence and awe for what you've done. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless, bless these elements. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Guys, this is not like, oh, I was thinking about this. This is not like, oh, we're going along a worship service, worship, 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 and then tithes and offering. Oh, it's not worship. It's just not time. You know, it's a it's time of worship. It, it, it's, a, it's a time where we can continue in worship and giving in worship. And so, Matthew um, 3 10, I love this. Bring the whole time. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing so that you will not have room enough for it. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel text where it's saying, oh, you give and you'll just get all the money in the world. And that's great. You'll just get money in the world. No, what this is saying is that God has blessed you and you can now give God. Go ahead and try the more you give to the kingdom and saying, yep, I'm giving to the kingdom, I'm giving for the expansion of his kingdom, it's going to bless you. It's going to bless your heart because you're not holding on to it. So if you feel stirred in your heart to give, there's envelopes in the back, and then also there's a little picture frame of how to give online. So I encourage you to do so. Um, so go ahead and stand as we sing our closing song of the blessing.
We'll go this way, we'll go this week, resting, and remember, grace first, resting in the finished work of Christ, gazing at his glory, and as you do, that you would go then into light. Go into light and obeying his commands. Obeying his command. Be blessed. Blessings. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Thank you.